Welcome back to As the Prop Turns. I'm your host, Kat. And this is the campus manager, Dan, once again. Today we have another episode of On This Day in Aviation for you guys. Um, Except for me, I'm going to be deviating from uh, the date a little bit on this one. Uh, Dan, yours is still within this week. You right. were, you gave me parameters, and I am not going to sway from those. So oh. it will be for today, October the 13th. Oh, that is nice. where my story is going to take place. Very nice. Well, the only reason that I de- deviated from um, the date for me is because uh, my story that I'm bringing is actually, uh, it was brought to us by one of our listeners. So shout out to Christina for her submission on our Instagram. Um, So for me, I will be recounting the story of James Leiniger, who thought he was the reincarnation of James Houston, a World War II fighter pilot. Let me tell you, Dan, I got chills just from doing research on this story. Well, I'm excited to hear about it. Yes. And then what story did you bring for us The story I brought, again, for October the 13th, because not straying from that, will be about the Mitchell Air Races and or the National Air Races and a First Lieutenant Theater Joseph Koenig or Koenig. I don't know how to really pronounce it. Google Translate says one thing. The internet says another. And um, yeah, we're okay. just going to roll with it. Cool. Nice. Um, well, let's go ahead and get started. Um, I will start with my story if you're okay with that. Go for it. I'm not going right. to fight you about it. All right, so uh, the year is 2000. James Leiniger, I did do my research on on how to say that name this time. Uh, James was about two years old when he started having vivid nightmares of a plane crash. Um, James had a love of aviation since he was very little. Um, His dad used to take him to museums and stuff. Um, So yeah, he had a a love of aviation and he, um, he had a lot of knowledge of aviation for some reason um, at the age of two years old, like weird stuff that like he shouldn't know at two years old. Um, but anyway, so he was fascinated with the phrase crash plane on fire. Obviously his parents were a little concerned over that. I would be too. Yeah. Send him to the institution. <laughs> well, um, so they, they kind of questioned him about it. And James told his parents that he has memories of being in a plane crash that was caused by Japanese fire in World War II. He was able to tell his parents that the plane he flew was a Corsair, which is a World War II fighter. We're going to go into what, uh, what the Corsair was. We're going to do a little oh, side Oh, fantastic. Maybe absolutely incorrect with what I think a Corsair is, but let me let you continue with the story. All right. Well, from my research, this Corsair uh, was a, it's called the Fought F4U Corsair which was an American fighter used primarily in World War II and the Korean War, designed by Chase Vought. That's how the plane got its name. Um, The demand of the Corsair grew quickly, and uh, it was produced um, by Goodyear. And the Corsair was designed to be a carrier-based aircraft, so it joined the U.S. Navy in 1944, um, and it quickly became the most capable fighter-bomber of World War II. It had an 11-to-1 kill ratio and was regarded by the Japanese pilots as the most formidable World War II plane. The F-4U had the largest engine available at the time with 2,000 horsepower, 18-cylinder Pratt & Whitney R-2800 double-wasp radial. 
Um, the fighter had folding wings, which is kind of cool, uh, retractable landing gear. And I'm going to read this little quote that I got from Wiki. Um, so to accommodate a folding wing, the designers considered retracting the main landing gear rearward, but for the cord of the wing that was chosen, it was difficult to make the landing gear struts long enough to provide ground clearance for the large propeller. Uh, their solution was an inverted gull wing, which considerably shortened the required length of the struts. The anhedral of the wing's inboard section also permitted the wing and fuselage to meet at the optimum angle for minimizing drag without using wing root fairings. Uh, so the bent wing was heavier and more difficult to construct. However, offsetting these benefits, this plane is just so cool. I could go on and on about it. Um, but we're going to go ahead and pause here, take a quick break. And then when we come back, I'll go ahead and continue the rest of the story uh, of James Leiniger. All right, we are back. So a few months later, James tells his parents that he flew his plane, the Corsair, off of a boat. Um, his parents asked him what the name of this boat was, and James, like, flat out stated, oh, it was the uh, Natoma. Like, he just told them the name of the boat, like he knew it. Um, at this point, his parents are, are seriously like, what the heck is my two-year-old talking about? So um, James's dad decided to do some research. So he... He started doing some research into Natoma to see if it was anything remotely similar um, to anything in history. And believe it or not, there was a World War II escort carrier stationed in the Pacific called the USS Natoma Bay. Um, so when James would have these nightmares, he would scream the same phrase over and over, airplane crash on fire, little man can't get out. So his parents would, like, ask him, who's little man, like, like, who are you talking about? And he would just respond with me, James. And so, obviously, his parents were, like, super freaked out. <laughs> um, so, like, they kept asking him, like, was there anybody with little man? Like, like, who are you referring to? And James responds with the name Jack Larson. So, like, his parents have, like, all these weird facts that they're kind of piecing together. Um, so... At one point, James's father is looking through this book that he planned on giving to James's grandpa for Christmas, um, and it was called uh, The Battle for Iwo Jima 1945. So they were looking through this book together, and um, there was a picture in it of, like, this mountain, and James tells his dad, like, oh, that's where my plane was shot down. So, you know... James's dad continues the research, like, he has all these facts, um, from his son, which he's like, how does he know this stuff? Um, well, anyway, so he gets in touch with a veteran who was actually on the, the USS Natoma Bay, um, and he said that he knew a Jack Larson that was, like, stationed on the boat with them. Um, so he, the guy told him, he was like, yeah, Jack took off with, you know, the other um, pilots that day, um, and he didn't come back, but we find out later that he didn't die, um, but so at this point, like, his, his parents are like, okay, like, our son thinks he is a reincarnated, reincarnated World War II soldier, um, so 
They take him to see this Dr. Carol Bowman, who specializes in children reincarnation, past life memory type things. Um, and her advice for James's parents was to like acknowledge these memories of his past life and like tell him that they did happen, but they were from a past life. And after they started doing this, like he kind of stopped having nightmares. Um, and then when James got a little bit older, he started drawing like aerial battle scenes and he would like sign them James three. But as the story continues, so in 2002, um, James and his family were interviewed by ABC. It never aired, but James's dad was able to get some information from the producer who like also did some research into their story about a um, Natoma Bay reunion that was happening. And so he went to it to see if he could find anybody who like knew like this Jack Larson person or anything about it. And so he found out that Jack Larson was still alive, but he wasn't at the reunion. Um, but he was um, able to talk to some people there and he found out that two planes did go out that day. One was Jack Larson and the other one was a 21-year-old pilot named James Houston. So out of like all the pilots in their crew, like there were eight, those two flew out that day um, and they were participating in a strike on some transport vessels that were in a harbor nearby called Chichiyima. And so Chichiyima, they later found out, was the picture in the book that James was looking at with his dad where he was like, that's where my plane went down. That was a picture of Chichiyima and that is in fact where James Houston's plane had got shot down from the Japanese. I got all of this research from a case study that was created by Jim B. Tucker, MD, and um, the claims of, uh, he talks about how the claims of reincarnation in Western cultures are not as popular as out East because of like all the frauds and possible scams and stuff like that, but we do see some cases of this like with James here, so yeah. That is... I was not ready for that story. That was very out of yeah. left field. That's very interesting, very weird. I don't know what I would do if I had a kid who was sitting there saying that kind of stuff to me. I think yeah. the weirdest thing was going back to, what was it, Bowman, the doctor? Mm -hmm. There's a doctor to uh, yeah, study kids kind of who yeah. think that they're just uh, reincarnation. Yeah. Interesting, interesting. Yeah. I mean, it's really weird, but like, also, how could he have known, like, all that stuff. I don't know. Two years old. The only thing I could think of the entire time while we were saying that is maybe like his neighbors were watching the History Channel, had the right. volume up, and he just <laughs> slipped through it and just like but via osmosis just took right. in this information. Yeah, you never but know. But that's such an odd thing. I, I don't know what I would do if my kid did that. Right. Well, Christina, thank you for that recommendation. Dan, why don't you go ahead and, and give us a little bit of history on your end. I shall. So going back to it, this is going to be based on October 13th because I'm um, sticking to the uh, game plan. I'm not going to sway from that. We're going to be talking about First Lieutenant Theater Joseph Koenig. Ko Koenig. I can't really pronounce that. And like I said, uh, the internet offered me no real insight into how to say it. But he was in the U.S. Army Air Service and the story talking about him is going to relate to the Mitchell Air Races, later renamed to the National Air Races, which were held at the Selfridge Field in Michigan. Which, um, interesting little story that came about it was the airfield was named after a First Lieutenant Thomas E. Selfridge. 
And he was actually killed flying as a passenger with the Orville Wright. And he was the very first person to die in a crash in a powered aircraft. So kind of interesting, uh, that little tie in there to Orville Wright and the history of flight. Kind of digress, talking about the air races. These started uh, 1929, ran for many, many, many a year, all the way, I think, a little bit past World War II. And they held all kinds of racing, pylon races, cross-country races. I believe they had one that was from Portland to L.A. to Cleveland. And landing contests, gliders, pretty much everything you'd find at an air show nowadays. And it was just a spot that many a historical figure in the world of aviation would go and fly at and compete at. I think Amelia Earhart had a showing later at one of the races. But circling back to talking about Theodore here. He was in the Liberty Engine Builders Trophy Race, which if anybody listened to the last episode, that is a beautiful tie-in to the first topic I talked about, in the DH-4 Liberty, where it was named the Liberty Plane off of the engine. So it is the same people, the Liberty Engine Builder Trophy Race. So he was flying a LUSAC-2, or a LUSAC-11. And that we'll talk about all the specs of it. But he actually went on to win this race, the trophy race. And just interesting with that, I think he was clocking about 128 miles per hour on average, which seems pretty fast for a very older biplane, you know, mm. fabric covered, wooden. Um, interesting to think about how fast they were going. But he also, in this plane, went on later to set a altitude record of about 40,000 feet in the same aircraft that he raced in. So another interesting aspect of him winning there. Um, really, really good history with him as a pilot and as a service member. Went on to have a very successful career in the air service. Stayed in the Air Force after World War II. Stationed in Germany. Stationed in Washington. Stayed pretty much everywhere. And he earned the Distinguished Service Medal and the Bronze Star. So very interesting pilot, very interesting man to read about. Um, but looking more at the aircraft, just because I do like that older style biplane, it was a French design, and it was commissioned by the Air Service to be built for World War One. So again, kind of relating back to the DH-4 in the last episode that we talked about. This one did not have as, I'll say... A, grandiose story with World War One. They put in a massive order for these planes and sadly the war well not sadly, the war ended before many of these planes could get fulfilled. So the air service cancelled the order and only about thirty were built. So a lot of them went on just to fly prototypes and just set records. It was a very well built plane all around, but only thirty ever. Hmm. So kind of interesting in that aspect. Only two were actually sent overseas out of that 30, and they didn't even see combat. They were sent over just to see if they would be worth to be put into combat, but, I mean, the war ended, and they didn't even continue those tests. So, again, didn't really see much didn't see much at all, just hmm. flew over. Um, so, again, kind of circling back to the Liberty and the Liberty engines and how it ties in is... Both DH-4 from last week and this one had the Liberty engines in there. I believe it was the Liberty 12 in this plane, the LUSAC 11. And it was, I mean, it was just interesting to read and see how many things that Liberty engines 
built and how many of these mechanical marvels, if you will, yeah. were powered by Liberty. So we'll probably have to do an episode talking about the history of that one of these days. For sure. But more going back to the aircraft that Theodore was flying. So it was a two-seater escort fighter aircraft. That was the intention behind building it. And it was armed with four machine guns. It was just two thirty cals, uh, Marlin Rockwell machine guns on the rear. And actually, I lied to you. Those were actually on the front going through the propeller. And then the two on the rear for the second crew member were Lewis guns. So kind of um, interesting light fighter escort kind of matches all of those uh, descriptions and yeah, similar to the to the dh exactly exactly i uh, believe it was also a bomber or designed to be a bomber but again nobody actually got the tested to do anything with it since it didn't see any combat um of all the 30 lusacs that were built there is only one left today and that's at the wright patterson air force base oh, wow so just interesting that there was so much history behind it a lot of records set a lot of um, a famed aviator flown in it, and only one remains today. So that's crazy because I bet, like you said, that the order was canceled because of the war. Exactly. Ended. So, like, I, what if they exactly didn't make all exactly? Of and it was just in, I think it was like four thousand planes that were ordered. Oh my gosh! And it was I think it was two companies that were to build them, and of course you had all the companies that were building the Liberty engines. Um, basically, any car manufacturer that you can think of nowadays were building liberty engines hmm. um which a fun fact i'll mention on which we'll probably again talk about whenever we talk about liberty and all their engines lincoln car company came from i believe it was i'm gonna absolutely butcher it because i didn't write this down on my cheat sheet but i believe it was chrysler and one of their main executives wanted to start his own company to build the Liberty engines because hmm. Chrysler refused to make anything for war. They wanted to be pacifists. So oh, wow. that's where the Lincoln Motor Company comes from, hmm. building the Liberty engines for the government to send off to war. So just interesting history before uh, behind there. But I enjoyed the tie-in between the DH-4 and the LUSAC-11 and the Liberty engines, just that recurring theme of yeah. what powered World War One. Mm-hmm. For sure. Well, uh, I think that's all we have for you guys today. So be sure to stay tuned for next week's episode. We will have a special guest and we may have some history for you as well. Uh, but we will see you next week. Say Do bye. you want me to say something? Is say this bye where I say goodbye? Yeah, say bye. Guys, we will see you next time I'm on here. Uh, yeah. Goodbye. I'm your host, Kat Granary, and thanks for listening to As the Prop Turns. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Anchor, for making all this possible, and of course, all of our listeners. Be sure to check us out on Instagram, TikTok, LinkedIn, and Facebook, handle at Superior Flight School. And remember, keep the blue side up. <laughs>